Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Gracious God, thank you so much for Diane and Susan and Dan and Bill through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All of those names that I just read belong to people who suffered and died in an earlier epidemic. And I'd like to tell you about them this morning, partly to honor them, but mostly to let the love of Jesus shine through them into our epidemic and into our hearts this morning. So to start with, Diane was a young woman in her mid-thirties. She was a social worker, she was divorced, and she had one daughter. She was well-educated, she was attractive, and she was quite wonderful, and she also had AIDS. And I got to know Diane uh, when I was on a study leave a number of years ago, and during uh, part of that study leave, I served as a volunteer on the AIDS ward of St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital here in New York City. And Diane was a patient on that ward. And when I first met her, she was having a terrible time. This was in the early days of the uh, AIDS epidemic. And at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital, patients with AIDS were dying at the rate of one a day. And in fact, there were so many patients with AIDS uh, in the hospital that many of them could not fit on the AIDS ward and they had to go to other floors. And on these other floors, some of the hospital staff had less experience with AIDS. And in their fear of the disease, some of them treated the patients badly. And Diane, in particular, was being shunned as a leper and treated as an object. And I walked into her room one day and saw that she was in tears. And with a shaky hand, she held up a hand-lettered sign that she had just made. And she was about to tape it to her bed. And she said to me, In a half hour, my fever will be back, and I'll be lying down, wrapped up in blankets, freezing cold, and I won't be able to do anything, so I needed to do this now. And the sign that Diane had made said this, I am not a moron. I am simply a person who is very sick. And I tell you about Diane because the collect uh, that's appointed for today, the second Sunday after Christmas, the one that Ben just prayed for us just a few minutes ago, um, starts this way. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature. Now, there's more to it than that, and we'll get to it in just a few minutes. But for the moment, let's start there. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature. God's intention for Diane, God's intention for you and me this morning, God's intention for the whole creation is that we be filled to the brim with dignity. And way back in the beginning... I mean, that's how we got started, made in the image of God and spilling over with worth and honor and esteem. 
And then something happened. The universe took a bend. And the author of Genesis paints a vivid picture of how you and I began to lose our dignity. Adam and Eve, those archetypal parents of us all, tried to find the source of their dignity within themselves. And a split developed between God and us. And in that split, our dignity got a little shaky, all the way from the Garden of Eden to St. Luke's Roosevelt to this sanctuary this morning. And in that split, Diane cried out that she's not a moron. And she's aching, she was aching, for someone to treat her as a person of worth. I saw this issue of dignity played out again and again in the lives of those patients with AIDS. There was, for instance, Susan, in her mid-30s, single with a five-year-old daughter, living in a tiny studio apartment. And when Susan was first admitted, she got into bed, pulled the sheet up over her head, and she refused to lower it, literally, for anyone. That's the best that Susan could do at that moment to cope with the loss of dignity of being in the hospital with AIDS. Then there was Dan. Dan was in his early 20s. He was a bodybuilder. He lived on the streets. And I walked into his room on the day that he was admitted, and he was wild with rage. And he snarled that he didn't need or want anything. And he raised his arm as though he was going to hit me. And he yelled at me to get the hell out of his room. And that's how Dan was coping in his struggle to find a little dignity in the face of his certain death. And finally, there was Bill. Bill was in his late 20s, and he was terribly sick. And for weeks, he was hovering on the edge of death. And every day, his mother came to see him when she got out of work. And one day, his mother and I were talking, and then she said to me, well, I've got to go. I need to change Bill's diapers. And that's where Bill was in his struggle for worth, at the age of 28, finding his dignity in clean diapers. So let's return to the day's collect, because now we need to add the other words. In its entirety, the first part of the collect reads, O God who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. Which is to say, God has decided to step into this bent universe. God has acted to close the split in the word made flesh and dwelling among us. God has moved to restore our dignity by choosing to not stand on his own. And we see this in today's gospel, which Jake just read for it. It's a kind of an early version of Home Alone. This, the king, I thought that was screamingly funny. The king of kings and lord of lords is just a 12-year-old boy, and he's gone off on his own without telling his parents. I mean, if you've ever had a child gone missing, you understand how frantic Mary and Joseph are. Uh, my wife, Hilda, is from the Dominican Republic, and when she and I read this passage this past week, Hilda said, 
Jesus is lucky that Mary wasn't Dominican or who would have really been in trouble. Muchos problemas con su mamá. Well, be that as it may, when Mary and Joseph do find Jesus, what does the word made flesh say to his parents? He says, in effect, don't you see that my first father is calling me? Calling him, as Mary and Joseph slowly learn along the way, to renounce his own worth in favor of ours. And just a few years later, this 12-year-old boy will choose the final loss of earthly dignity by hanging from a cross in utter earthly disgrace. And the news this morning is this. It's by this very act on our behalf that the split is healed and the yearning that you and I all share here this morning is met. It's a yearning for a love that way deep down we know we don't deserve. A yearning for a real home that's beyond our own reach. A yearning for a dignity that we failed to find on our own. In one of Willa Cather's novels, one priest says to another, I no longer see you as you are. I see you through my affection for you. And so for you and me, through the lens of the manger and the cross and the empty tomb, God sees you and me this morning with unqualified affection. In that piercing, grace-filled gaze of Jesus from the cross, you and I are restored. Restored out of isolation and into worth and honor and esteem. Out of guilt and shame and into forgiveness and love. And I saw this miracle of restored dignity played out on the AIDS ward over and over again. You remember Susan. She found some wonderful relationships in that hospital. And as a number of people saw her through the eyes of their affection for her, her sheet was lowered. The day she was going home, she said to me, and I quote, I never told my daughter I have AIDS. I was too ashamed. And she doesn't know that I only have a few months left. But now I'm going home. I'm going to put on some lipstick and my best dress. I'm going to take my daughter, put her on my lap, look her in the eye, tell her that I have AIDS, and then tell her that I love her very much. You remember Dan. The day after he raged, I went back very carefully, and this time I found that tough street fighter huddled under a blanket. And as I walked in, he said in a small voice, today's my birthday. So I grabbed some other volunteers and we sprang into action. Uh, we bought a huge birthday cake. We broke all the hospital rules about no open flames with enough candles to make a bonfire. And we snuck into his room, we threw open the door and burst in, all of us singing happy birthday. In that one single little act of Dan 
being seen through a few affectionate eyes. The restoration of dignity for him was almost palpable. He never raged again. Finally, you remember Bill. Every Sunday, there was a cabaret on the AIDS ward. Professional singers from Broadway shows would come up to the hospital to sing for the patients. And one Sunday evening, Bill's mother brought Bill to the cabaret in a wheelchair. He had less than a week to live. And during the cabaret that evening, a singer named Randy stood up. And before he sang, he told us that he, too, had AIDS. Then he said that just that morning, he had been baptized in an Episcopal church. And then he said, I want to dedicate this song to one of you. It's a song we sang at my baptism this morning, and I sing it now for Bill. Randy sang Amazing Grace, and as he sang, and as the love of Jesus just flooded through that room, a 28-year-old man in diapers had his dignity restored. So Diane and Susan and Dan and Bill have a word for you and me this morning. They invite you and me right now to just give up on trying to stand on our own solitary, lonely dignity. Right now, even in this service, they invite you and me to risk lowering the sheet that we may be restored in the unqualified, grace-filled, overwhelming love of Jesus for you and me. So let's end this sermon by standing to sing together the first verse of Amazing Grace. for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the parish of calvary st george's in the city of new york if you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving thank you